All right, my friends, please have a seat. You know, um, it's great that to worship with you today, and you know, in worshiping together, we're going to be continuing to talk about worship. What is it all about? Um, we are doing a sermon series on worship, and I would frame this series for you in this way. That is that practically all churches, when they meet to worship, they do it in four general movements, right? When we, when we gather together to worship, we do it in four general movements. We gather together, number one. Number two, we sing the word, we preach the word, we look at the word, so number two is word. And then we go to the table, we um, take communion, that's another movement. And finally, we are sent out. So, in all churches, when we gather to meet and worship, they, we do it around these four general movements, to gather, word, table, and send. And so in our worship series, what we're trying to explore is the significance of each of these four movements and how these movements inform our worship outside of the church. And the worship movement we're going to look at today is what is before us, the Lord's table. We're going to look at communion. Now, right off the bat, I want to say a key reason that we gather around the table, we gather for communion, is to remember, right? At the very first communion, Jesus says, eat this bread, drink this wine, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. Communion is about remembering. So today, what I want to talk about is what is it that we remember when we come to the Lord's table? What is it that we remember? And also, why is this act of remembering so important for our worship? What is it that we remember? And why is this act of remembering so important to our worship? And the passage that will help us explore these two questions is a very beautiful passage, uh, Psalm 23. Uh, some of us might be familiar with this passage. It is a very well-known passage. And um, let's begin by just reading through the passage and chewing on these words for a little bit. Um, Psalm 23, starting at verse 1, it reads like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is a psalm that we're going to be looking at today, and it's a very beautiful psalm. But, re but remember, what we are talking about today is what is it, is this question, what is it that we remember when we come to the table? And we are talking about what remembering has to do with worship. And so today I want to talk about three things. Number one is we remember, when we come to the Lord's table, we remember the bigger story we find ourselves in, the bigger story we find ourselves in. Number two, when we come to the Lord's table, we remember who God is and who we are. And finally, the last thing that we're going to talk about today is what remembering has to do with worship anyways. 
So we remember the bigger story, we remember who God is and who we are, and we will talk about what remembering has to do with worship. So first, right into the bigger story we find ourselves in. What is the bigger story that we find ourselves in? Well, we see a marker of this bigger story that we find ourselves in in this psalm, because right in the middle of this psalm is a meal. Suddenly, there's a table. There's all this imagery of sheep and shepherds, and suddenly there is this table. And you know, church, that is our story. We are a part of a story that is marked with meals. So let me walk you through this, right? So our story, it starts with creation. It starts with God making it all from penguins to pineapples to people. God creates it, and he says it is all good. And then there is the first meal, this meal of sin, this eating of the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this meal in the Bible was a very real way of saying that there was an internalization from the very beginning, that from the very beginning we affirmed within ourselves that we did not want to live by God's ways, that we wanted to decide good and evil for ourselves and live by our own wisdom. And so we read in the biblical text that this act of rebellion, it overturned God's desire for creation. It brought sin, and it brought death, and it brought brokenness into the world. But then, as we read the biblical story more, we see that there is this moment of redemption, right? And in this moment, God steps down, God takes on flesh, and he goes to the cross, and he dies for the sins of the world. On the cross, Jesus reverses the curse of sin so that anyone who believes in him could have life the way that God originally intended, this full and this abundant and this good life. And this moment of redemption is also marked with a meal, right? Because before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered his disciples together, he took bread and he took wine and he said, this is my body, broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. But then there's more, right? Because before Jesus goes to the cross to die for the sins of the world, he mentions to his disciples that there will be yet another meal. He says that there will be a great meal where Jesus will drink wine with us again. You know, church, heaven, it's described in many ways in the biblical text, right? But I think one of the Bible's most powerful images of heaven, one of the Bible's most compelling images of heaven is of heaven as this great banquet, of heaven as this wonderful feast where we are finally reunited with Christ and we can enjoy the fullness of life with him like it was in the very beginning. So our story is a story marked with meals. It starts with this feast of fallenness, but it ends in this feast of restoration. And church, I cannot help but feel like this great feast to come will be much like this great feast that we read about in this psalm that we looked at today, where there will be this great table that has been prepared for us, where there will be oil to soothe us from the bumps and scrapes of our long journeys. And there will be so much food and so much wine and so much joy that our cups will overflow and those old enemies of death and brokenness and sin, all they will be able to do is watch as we feast 
and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, church, we are a people in this great story of grace and redemption and hope, and it is this story that is marked by meals. And so when we gather at this table before us, we remember the whole story. We remember the significance of all of these meals. We remember our sin. We remember our brokenness. We remember what Christ did for us on the cross. We remember that one day he will return to us and we will celebrate with new wine. And church, I think one of the reasons why it's important for us to remember the big story that we find ourselves in is because if you do not remember the big story, you will get caught up in the smaller stories. If you do not remember the big story, you'll fall in love with the smaller dramas in your life. You'll get caught up in the smaller victories. You'll get tied up in the smaller dreams of your life. You'll fall into despair over smaller defeats, and you'll lose yourself over smaller failures. If we do not remember the big story, we will get caught up in the small stories in our lives. And you know, church, we are a people who get caught up in stories so easily, are we not? So often we can get tied up in, in binging on Netflix and watching a whole season or two or three in one sitting. We can get caught up in when the next Avengers movie is going to be. We can get caught up in our sports, and we can get caught up in, in our shows like Game of Thrones or reality TV. We can get lost in our stories. We can have so much of our joy and so much of our passion and so much of our desires tied into these smaller stories. You know, not long ago, a couple weeks ago, the Raptors won the championship. And let me begin by saying this. I am a big Raptors fan, all right? I love the Raptors. I am from Toronto. I am from, as they call it, the Six. And, you know, like, I have been cheering for the Raptors for so long, I've been cheering for them even when they were being called the Craptors. <laughs> By my own wife. She was, like, mocking me for cheering for this team. I've been cheering for the Raptors for so long, I've been cheering for them since they've been calling the city of Toronto LeBronto because we could not beat LeBron and move on. I have been a fan of the Raptors for a long time, but you know, I found it so amazing that so many people got swept up in these finals that it made grown men and grown women cry. They were crying. They were in tears. I have seen people that have not been crying for years crying, right? I have seen these finals, they bring out some of this crazy stuff they bring out in people. Like people are willing to pay 100K for a ticket. People are willing to wait for hours just to watch a little bit of this game for a, on a screen. All for what? A group of people bouncing a ball down a court. Like let's be real. Let's think about that, right? It's a group of people bouncing a ball trying to get it into like an orange ring. It was, it was like, there was like this frenzy going on, right? And you know, this frenzy, it reminded me of when the Blue Jays won the World Series. Like, I was in Toronto during that time. But let me ask you, who remembers the year that the Jays won the World Series? Who remembers all the people on that team? I know some people probably do, but not many, not at this point, right? And all these years later, 
How many lives are still affected by that moment? Not mine. Church, if we don't remember the big story that we're in, we will get our hopes and we will get our joys tied up in the smaller stories around us. We will get drawn into successes and defeats that ultimately do not really matter in the end. And so we come to the table to remember the larger story that we are in. And we also come to the table to remember who God is and who we are in the story. That's the second thing we're talking about today, right? We come to the table to remember who God is and who we are in the story. So let me first start by reorienting or orienting us in this story. Where are we in this story? Well, right now, in this larger story that we are in, we are living between two meals, right? We are living between this simple supper of bread and wine that Jesus first had with his disciples and this great heavenly feast to come where we will dine with Christ once again. And so as we are being led from one meal to the next meal, as we are being led from one meal to this great meal that God is preparing for us, the image that this psalm gives us of who God is and who we are is of God as a shepherd and us as his sheep. I think that's amazing. And the one thing that this psalm makes crystal clear about the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is that the shepherd is the primary actor, right? The shepherd is the primary actor. The shepherd is the one who guides. The shepherd is the one who feeds. The shepherd is the one who organizes his sheep and leads them on and gives rest to his sheep. And even in the darkest, deepest valley, the shepherd is there with his sheep. He does not abandon his sheep. He has his rod, which is like a club to protect his sheep from predators, and his staff with him, which is like a hooked stick to guide the sheep. The shepherd is always there, and the shepherd is the primary actor. In other words, the big story that we are in is all about the shepherd. It's all about God and what he does. And that's important for us to remember because I think so often we want to make the story about us. We want to be the star of the story. We want to be the hero of the story. We want to be the focus of the story. But this psalm reminds us that this story is not about us, that God is the primary actor, that God is the great shepherd, which means we are his sheep. And here's the thing about sheep. They're skittish. They easily stray. They are hard to settle. They cannot survive for long in the wild on their own because they are defenseless. In the end, all the sheep have to deliver them from one day to the next day is their shepherd. Church, what a powerful reminder of our need and our dependence on God. And man, I think it's so important to remember that. And you know, the other thing about sheep is they can be forgetful. So we need to remember. Sheep can be forgetful just like us. You know, so often we can forget God when things are going well. Or we can even take credit from God ourselves. Right? We can think it was our effort or our abilities that got us to where we were. And I can't help but think, church, maybe that's why we're called to come to the table so much. Maybe that's why we're called to remember so much because we can be so forgetful as a people. And to come to the table is to remember that God is our shepherd and we are his sheep. 
is to remember that everything we are, everything that we have is ultimately because of him. It's to remember that in this big story, we are just sheep. And you know, if we are just sheep, I think that that should grow in us this deep sense of gratitude. When we remember that we are his sheep, that should grow in us this deep sense of gratitude. Let me tell you why. You know, the person who wrote Psalm 23, wrote that psalm up there, the person who wrote it is um, someone who became a king, right? King David. He's the one that wrote this psalm. But before David became a king, he was also a shepherd, right? And so David, he wrote this psalm from what he knew. He wrote this psalm from his experience. He was very familiar with the profession of being a shepherd. And so he would have known that being a shepherd is humble work. It's hard work. It's lowly work. And so when David became a king, guess what he stopped doing? He stopped being a shepherd because it's not something that was fitting for royalty to do. It was absolutely unheard of for a king to tend to sheep. But this psalm tells us what? That God is our Lord and our shepherd. Wow. You know, church, one of the names for the Lord's table is the Eucharist. And it literally means to be grateful or thankful. And I love this name because it reminds us that at the heart of the table is this great grace. It's this wonderful gift that we don't deserve and that we could never earn. And that is that the King of Kings And the Lord of Lords is willing to enter into the humble and lowly work of being a shepherd for us. That he would care for us, that he would love us, that he would guide us, and that in the end, he would be for us so much that he would be willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And so church, communion, it's it's about remembering Right? It's about remembering the bigger story we find ourselves in, and it's about remembering who God is and who we are in that story. And that brings us to the last thing that we're going to talk about today. And that is, so what does all of this remembering have to do with worship? Right? Because this is a sermon series on worship, so we have to ask that question. What does all this remembering have to do with worship? And you know, we've mentioned this before uh, a few times. But to worship, because we've got to define our terms, to worship is to ascribe worth to something, right? To worship is to say something is worthy of our praise. So coming to the communion table, it draws us into worship because coming to the communion table is about remembering God's goodness, right? It's about remembering the things that he has done. It's about remembering our need for him. And in so doing, declaring that God is worthy of our praise. We come to the table to remember that God is great and gracious and worthy of our praise, right? And here's the thing. You know, communion, it's not only an act of worship. It definitely is an act of worship, but it is also an act that builds our worship. So communion is not only an act of worship, but is also an act that builds our worship. Communion can grow in us a habit of worship. It can grow in us a rhythm or a discipline of worship. Let me tell you what I mean. 
you know, our, our passion and our character, these are things that do not grow out of our beliefs. They may begin with our beliefs, but they grow out of our practices. Our passions and character, they grow out of our disciplines. They grow out of our hard-fought habits. For example, it is not enough to believe in being generous. Right? It's not enough to believe in being honest or believe in being patient. It's not enough to just sit there and think, I should be more generous because I like being generous, right? If we want to be generous people, no, we have to continually put those virtues into practice. If we, if we want these virtues to be a part of our character, believing in them is just the start. Another example, right? It is not enough to want to be healthy. It is not enough to want to be fit. It is not even enough to be like, I should go to the gym every now and again and pat ourselves on the back for thinking about it. No, if you want those desires to actually take root in your life, you have to translate them into healthy practices and habits, right? And church, I would say that it is the exact same with worship. It is not enough to believe that we should glorify God. If we really want to worship him, if we really want to love him, if we really want to orient our hearts towards him, we need to integrate our worship into our daily lives. We need to develop habits and rhythms and routines of worship through things like devos or prayers or small groups or, or other spiritual disciplines. But we need to develop these habits so that we can enter into worship because our passions and our character they do not grow out of our beliefs. They might begin with our beliefs, but they grow out of our habits. And so it's because of this, the theologian Jamie Smith, he says, it's our habits that shape our desires. It's our habits that shape our desires. You know, the best example that I was thinking about when I was thinking about this, like how do habits shape our desires, was my current relationship with Jesse, my wife. You know, Jesse and I right now, we're living in this new reality of being in a family of four. It's a crazy new reality. Like, it is definitely a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. I'm just going to be honest here, laying it out on the table. I was like, mm, I wasn't really expecting all that, but here we are, can't return. So we're just going to roll with it, right? Like, I just always feel like there's just more to do. There's just so much more to do. It's so much more than before to do. And in the midst of this, I know it's not enough just to know that Jesse is my wife. It's not enough for me just to believe that Jesse is my wife. No. I need to take the time to remember her, right? We need to take the time to remember one another. For the sake of our relationship, we need to develop habits where we let each other into our lives, habits like date days or going to counseling, or praying for one another, or giving one another hugs in the morning. And I know that it's these kind of habits that is, it will be how I grow my relationship with Jesse. Right? It's these kind of habits where, where I'll learn to love her more, where I'll grow to delight in her more, because it's our habits that shape our desires. And church, that is what communion is all about. It's one of the key habits at, of the church that help build our love for God, that help build our desire to worship God, that help build our relationship with God. 
Communion is about worship, and it's about building our worship for God by remembering our story, remembering who God is, remembering who we are, and growing in us a habit of rejoicing in these gospel realities. So in a very real way, communion is about remembering until we slowly stop forgetting. It's about remembering so we slowly stray less and less from the Good Shepherd. It's about remembering until we know those gospel realities so much that they're in our bones and we're fully living out of them. And by remembering, by us coming to the table together, communion in a very real way remembers us. And what I mean by that is it puts us back together. It makes us whole. It reconnects us with one another. It reminds us that we are one in the bond of Christ, that in Christ we are brothers and sisters, that we have a bond that is deeper than death because of what Christ has done for us. It reconnects us with one another. And it reconnects us with where we have come from and where we are going. And no matter how much we might have strayed from him or wandered away from him, it reconnects us with the good shepherd who loves us so much that he was willing to lay his life down for his sheep. And so even now, in his unrelenting grace, in his undying grace, God's invitation is for you to come to the table. Come so that you might receive his grace. Come so that you might receive his guidance. Come so that you might be nourished and filled. Come so that you might remember that you are not alone, that you are loved, that you are a son and a daughter of God. Come so that you might remember that whatever it is you did, you are forgiven. And church, my prayer for us is that as we come to the Lord's table today, remembering this might grow in us a desire to follow him as he leads us from one meal to that great meal to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord and gracious Father, thank you for for not giving up on your people, for constantly calling us back to you, calling us to remember you, calling us to remember your faithfulness, calling us to remember all the ways that you are leading and guiding us. Thank you that you are patient, that you are compassionate, that you are slow to anger and abounding in love, that there is always room at your table for those who who call you Lord. So God, I just pray that we as a people, we can delight in that, you know, we can rejoice in that, that we don't see ourselves um, just as people in lowly estate, but we see ourselves as sheep to the great shepherd, that when we acknowledge our need for you, we can also acknowledge that you are so great, you meet every need that we might have. All of these things we pray in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.